Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I mean, I could sit and listen to, to Phil all day. I, I, part of me feels inadequate coming up um, and, and sharing. Also, on a day, um, some of you will be aware that later on England are playing. So I'm, a, I'm actually preaching against the clock. So as I just sat there, I just thought, I'd, 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 if I'm going on and time is running away, I just thought of a code word that you can give me to tell me. And this is going to be the code word. Are you ready? It's not a code word. It's a code phrase. If I hear anyone in the congregation say this phrase, I'm going to stop preaching. It's this. It's coming home. It's coming home. <laughs> so if you sing it, or, yeah, you can sing it or say it, um, I will stop preaching. We'll all go have a barbecue and watch England beat Panama, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so I'm preaching against the clock. I'm aware of that. Um, and I've got a four-hour message prepared. So I've got to condense that into 15 Minutes. I'm going to begin, as I often quite like to do this, with a question. You don't have to answer it, but you can answer it in your head. Have you ever come across a time in your life where you've had to face a situation, a task, a job, you've been asked to do something, you've got to do something in your life that initially seemed impossible? Something in your life that you thought, there is no way. I can pull that off. It could be a request from one of your managers at work. You know, I'm snowed under enough and you're asking me to do this one other thing which is going to take four hours a day. It could be a relationship issue. It could be that there's no way that divorce or that broken down relationship can ever be restored. There is no way that I can ever be that person's friend ever again. It could be there is no way I could ever pay off that debt. It is too insurmountable. I cannot overcome that debt. It could be any other physical, mental, emotional, spiritual challenge that you face. And on the outset, you've thought, that's impossible. I, um, two weeks ago, I ran the Potter's Half Marathon. Um, and you might think, well, Ben looks fit. He's, he runs, I've run like the last 12 Potter's Half Marathons. I'm not bragging. I'm laying a, a, a foundation to one impossible occasion in my life. I, two, three years ago, ran the full marathon. So bear in mind, I'm very used to running a half marathon. 13.1 miles is quite a comfortable thing for me. I know you might think he's bragging. <laughs> but for me, that's, I can do that. Double that into a full marathon, 26.2 miles, for me suddenly becomes an insurmountable task. Well, initially, being a cocky, I'm a, I don't need to train, I don't need to run, I'm, I'm pretty fit, I can run. Um, I, I approached this marathon at the start line with as much confidence as the England fans at the moment. Just this, this kind of arrogance. You know, and I started off, it, it's, it's quite an exciting occasion. You're like, wow, I'm running a marathon, my first ever marathon. You're just going so fast. And I'm used to running, you know, a, a half marathon. So I'm running it at a certain pace. And I'm, I'm running the marathon the same kind of pace. So I'm going really good. Now, I'm bearing in mind, I hadn't done a lot of training. I'm, I'm going to carry on running just, just like this, just for a little bit of action. I'm going to get tired as I do it. But I'm running this, this marathon. And bearing in mind, I'd not done a lot of training over and above the 30 miles that I'd been used to. I think I'd ran 60 miles as the biggest run I'd ever done. 
So I was going super well. I was going super cocky, super confident, super just, I was thinking, I'm going to break all time. I'm going to break every PB that I've ever thought about. I'm going to be amazing. I hit 17 miles, and I'm like, I've never ran this far before, and I feel so good. 17 miles, I feel so good. And then I hit 18 miles, and I started to start feeling something in my back of my leg. And then I got to 19 miles, and I was starting to hurt. Um, It felt that the impact on my knees was impacting my teeth. It was every muscle and bone and sinew and everything in my body was aching. And you might have heard people talk about the wall. And I was running, or trying to run, and the body just kind of grounded to a halt. And I promise you, the wall exists. Between 19 and 20 miles of the Stoke Marathon, the wall exists. And your body shuts down. I'm out of breath. But the biggest thing is your mind. Your mind says, why bother continuing? You've ran 19 miles. You're about six miles from home. Just walk home. It's closer to home than it is the finish line. Just walk home. And because it's such a big stretched out race, there are certain sections of the course where there's no fans, there's no one lying in the streets like the London Marathon, there's sections where there's no one. And because some people are so far ahead and people are so far behind, you are on your own in, on a road in Cobridge thinking, I could just stop, <laughs> walk off, no one would even know. This is the battle of the mind. And I kind of, you're leaning against a lamppost thinking, I can't go on. This is an impossible, insurmountable obstacle. Now, to finish the story, I did carry on. Somehow, somewhere, you just get this second wind down a hill. Six miles later, you're finishing and collapsing at the finish line for the Red Cross to kind of pick you up. And <laughs> Impossible. I'm going to talk today about the Great Commission. If you're in church or if you're a Christian, if you have been in church for a while, you'll know the Great Commission. It's, it's part of our ethos. It's part of our purpose. It's part of our, it's, it's, if you, wherever, whatever church you're in, wherever in the world, you'll know of the Great Commission. Probably unintentionally, you've, you've memorized um, the words, the final words of Jesus here on earth. I'm going to try and do it as a little bit of a stunt to, rem- to recite to you without cheating the final words of Jesus to the church, to his disciples. But I want you to think about it in this context. Have you ever thought about it as an impossible task? Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, by the way, I didn't memorize this. This has just come through church experience over years. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I need to cheat, everything I have commanded you. It's different translations, different versions. Um, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. What a great sort of um, mantra for life, a great. Uh, purpose statement, vision statement, our purpose, our reason for, uh, to exist as a church. My reason as a Christian is to do this, to go and make disciples of all nations. Phil so eloquently talk, talked about how we went to another nation, Uganda. We've just sang songs about going to the nations, but also going to our 
neighbor. We are called to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus said in his final statement to the church. But I want you to think about it in the context of, have you ever thought, it's just too hard? It's just too much. So over this series, we've had Paul talk about um, positioning yourself for mission and empowered for mission. My title today is Mission Impossible. <laughs> now, I don't want to just paint a negative picture and put a downer on the whole thing. I'm not, I want to kind of give you a disclaimer that normally, if you're preaching on the Great Commission, it's a great gun-ho message. Let's go and change the world one life at a time. Let's all go to Africa. Let's all just change the world because Jesus is going to help us. And I, I would like to add that as a disclaimer Normally, I'll be preaching that. That's, that's you know, a gun-ho, get out of here message. Come on, let's go on. Let's go and evangelize the whole of the England fans. Let's go into every pub around the nation, and let's go and evangelize and kind of make a, a big difference. And I would say, if you want to do that, go and do that. But my message, I'm coming at the Great Commission from a slightly different angle this morning. So please forgive me on England World Cup um, day. But I want to flash that scripture up to you again, but highlighting the top and the bottom lines um, I think, Toby, you've got it. Yeah, so, well, yeah. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, and there's a bit in the middle, and then surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The bit in white is the impossible section. To me, that just seems, and I'm going to talk about how and why in, in a moment, it just seems too difficult. But thankfully, and this is the second part of my message, and this is where we'll get to close get close to the key phrase, it's coming home potentially. So, that's, so I'm just going to be listening out during that second part of my message. But during the first part of my message, I want to address the white bit, the impossible bit, the stuff that just, just seems too difficult. But for, thankfully, the top and the bottom give us license that anything is possible, that Jesus can do whatever he wants in and through us. So we're going to get onto it, beginning um, with... The sentence that says, go and make disciples of all nations. I need to catch my breath. I shouldn't have ran. I'm going to have a quick drink. I didn't train for this one. I've been on holiday. It's hard work under the lights as well. So here we go. So go and make disciples of all nations. Sounds like a great statement for life. I'm going to go and make disciples of all nations. But have you, have you ever made a disciple. What even does that even mean? To go and make a disciple, like a factory conveyor belt, like they come along, be like, here's a disciple, there's a disciple, there's a disciple. Like, church is that straightforward. The rich, if you know the New Testament, there's a guy, a rich young ruler, and he came to Jesus, and he said, I have been the best Christian. I have followed all the rules. What do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus basically says, well, you need to go and sell all of your possessions. I'm going to talk about this story later on. That young guy, he wanted to make himself a Christian. He wanted to construct around him the framework of a perfect Christian and say, this is me, I cannot, can I make it? There's another story in the Bible. Um, James and John, two disciples, their mom, any mums in the room? Their mom goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you enter heaven, when you get into your kingdom, I would like for my young lads, my boys, one of them to sit at your left, one of them to sit at your right. What she was in effect saying was, I want them to be Christians. I want them to be good boys. I want them to make it. Can I make them your disciples? It doesn't work like that. And Jesus made it clear to them. How on earth 
do we go about this task of making someone become a Christian? I'll get onto it in a moment. But let's just, for a moment, let's talk about what even a disciple is. Is it a Christian? Is it someone who's converted? A little bit, say, for example, like Phil. Somebody who was once maybe an atheist or somebody outside of God who has then become a Christian. Is that what a disciple is? Is it someone who comes to church week in, week out? Serves week in, week out? Gives in the offering week in, week out? Does that make somebody a disciple? I would say part of that is, but it's not the straightforward answer. This is what Jesus says in Luke 14, 27. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So what Jesus is in effect saying here is, if you want to be one of my disciples, those kinds of people that I want you to make around the the world are people that are willing to carry a cross, let down their ego, let down their wants and needs, lay down their lives, crucify themselves, and die. What a great marketing poster that would be. Become a Christian and die. <laughs> and in fact, that's kind of what actually happens. We, you kind of allow your past to die and your new life to come alive. How are we advertising this? How do we make somebody choose, okay, would you go and die for Jesus? How do we kind of convince someone, twist their arm, cajole them to die? The task is suddenly becoming a little bit more impossible. Thankfully, it is possible. But we're talking about dying to our old attitudes, our selfishness, our pride. We're we're asking people to turn around. They were once walking in one direction. Sorry, Phil, you're on stage. I'm using you as an example. You walked in one direction. Your life was going in one direction. At some point, you turned around and you decided to follow Jesus. We are asking people, when we're asking them, or or when we're making disciples, we're asking them to change their life completely 180. Is that a straightforward proposition? Maybe. Or maybe I'm just being really negative. But I'm proposing to you in this early stage in my message that that is quite a difficult prospect. Even the 12 disciples struggled. When Jesus went to the cross, they scattered. Even they, even though they promised to die with Jesus, they ran away. It's not an easy prospect to go and make disciples of all nations. And we sing, and we've talked about all nations. And bearing in mind, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations in a time when there was no internet. There was no airplanes. It wasn't just like hop on a bus and go to the next town. It wasn't like hop on a plane and go to another continent. It was you walk or you get a donkey. Your choice. It, but nowadays, you know, we can go on a mission trip. Our, you, we, we, can, um, we have university students and people coming out from all over the country and all over the world to join this locality. So that the world is becoming smaller just because of travel and, and, and economy and because of the internet. But it was different back then. Secondly, Wizenom is coming home. Baptizing them, second sentence. So if that wasn't difficult enough, the impossible ask. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go into much detail on this because there'll be a baptism, I think, coming up later in the year towards November. Um, and someone will be, you know, eloquently unpack what baptism means. But we've got a baptism pool at the back. 
It would be so much easier if, if somebody becomes a Christian. As soon as they become a Christian, we just chuck them in and get them baptized. Get them, get them, get them in, get them out. Convey about Christianity. Here we go. Get them baptized. Job done. We've fulfilled, we've fulfilled the Great Commission. However, if you've been in church long enough, you'll know that's not the case. You'll know that even your own personal decision to get baptized was possibly an even harder one than the decision initially to become a Christian. Because when you get baptized, you're publicly saying, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I am in. I am publicly telling the world, my friends, Facebook, whoever, that I am in. No longer is this a personal, inside of me, private decision. We're not only asking people to make a private decision to die. We're asking them. A little bit like the illustration, Jesus went in the grave. So if, you, if you've never seen a baptism, what we do, we grab a person, an adult, and we throw them in water, pull them back out, and that's baptism. Give them a certificate at the end, and we all give them a big clap. It's a lot more special and nice than that. <laughs> what was I even saying? <laughs> but you can't force somebody to get baptized. We, we, imagine that marketing campaign. Come and get baptized. And just like Jesus, you're going to go in the grave, and then you're going to come back out again resurrected. We're going to kill you off. And then bring you back to life. Imagine that as a selling point for a baptism. But that's kind of what baptism is. So paint the picture of the disciples trying to make disciples of all nations. And saying to them, I want you to lay down your life and come back up. Just like Jesus. It's not an easy ask. So the Great Commission is not a straightforward, okay, I'll do it. For some of you, it might have been. You might have been like, yeah, I'm going to jump straight into that baptism pool. For others, they might need a bit more arm twisting. there's a little plug you know I think it's November our next baptism if you think I should really get baptized there's your chance baptism a message on baptism is for another day when England aren't playing (laughs) so the third thing that Jesus says here sorry if you don't care about football um, I really for you I'm going to carry on for an extra 10 minutes for like the special extended edition at the end (laughs) But this, isn't, this, this next third thing is almost the most difficult thing of the lot. It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I had some friends. They became Christians when I became a Christian. We were teenagers. We were like, yeah, Jesus, woohoo! We became Christians together in school. It was quite an amazing time, really. And one by one, we all got baptized. We went to each other's baptisms. It was great. Now, out of those... Ten people, I am the only one still a Christian. So those people became Christians, got baptized, and are now no longer in church. Probably would maybe consider themselves Christians, but haven't been to church for years upon years upon years. Where are they? Does that mean baptism is your one ticket into heaven? I don't know. Does, that mean, does baptism mean that you'll be a Christian and you'll be following Jesus, loving him? You'll be a disciple forever? I don't think so. So baptism and conversion isn't enough. There's got to be more to it than that. Now, take a note of this scripture, teaching them to obey. It doesn't say, teach them everything I've commanded. It's not like, send them all to Bible college. Give them a lecture. Teach them everything I've commanded. You give them a list of things to do. No, it says teach them to obey. 
Now, I've got a little baby girl. Um, for, the, for you parents in the room, how often do your children disobey you? Now, I'm trying to teach Abigail to wash up, but she's not there yet. She isn't. I'm working on her. But she's not there yet. But how often do we disobey? As humans, it's part of our makeup. We enjoy breaking the rules. So how on earth can we convince people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded? The Great Commission suddenly becomes almost unachievable. By the way, it is. But thankfully for Jesus. But take a look um, briefly at the Torah, the first five books in your Bible. There are 613 laws for the Israelites to obey. You know the Ten Commandments, do not steal, don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Ten of them. You, you've probably memorized many of them. Straightforward enough, don't kill someone, don't, have a, don't commit adultery, bish bash bosh, you're done. Now, Deuteronomy and other parts of the Torah mention 613 other commandments. Let me just read you a few. If you see a donkey or an ox fallen on the road, help the owner get it to its feet. Straightforward enough. Um, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof to stop people falling off. Again, health and safety makes sense. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Not sure about why, but there probably was a reason. Get this one. Imagine following this law. At the end of every seventh year, cancel the debts, the debts of everyone who owes you money. The law. Now, as a Christian today, we can, we can be very thankful for Jesus, that he came, died, rose again, and fulfilled that law. Um, but to obey the commandments, to obey things, to obey teachings is not an easy thing. In fact, the Israelites needed reminders. In Deuteronomy 6, this will, will it be, appear on screen. Verse 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. These commandments that I have given you today are to be on your hearts. There's a key word. If we're trying to make disciples, then there needs to be something about their heart, not just making robots off a conveyor belt. Impress them on your children. So here's a really, this, this scripture that I'm reading to you now is a good, handy, how to stay in line with God's commandments. These are some things, practically. They're, they're from the Old Testament, but we can apply some of these to the New Testament. Talk about them when you sit at home. What great wisdom. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to stay right and true to God's commandments, just talk about them when you're at home, over tea, over coffee, over with friends and family. When you walk along the road, I love prayer walking and just talking and just, just, just going out there and just mumbling to God. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. We wear jewelry nowadays, don't we? Um, and bind them on your foreheads, hats. <laughs> Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates or on your fridge or on your screen saver on the backdrop of your phone. That's, these are the reminders. So the Israelites back then needed reminders to, to constantly be reminded to obey. Same today, we need constant reminders to fulfill the Great Commission, but also to obey every commandment that Jesus has said. He's, he says, you know, two, two great commandments, basically summarizing two simple phrases, love God, love people. And even those two simple commandments, Jesus in many ways has simplified it. 
Two commandments, love God, love people. But we still need reminding to love God and love people. In fact, Jesus, in some ways, although he was easier, he, he took some of these commandments to the extreme. The, the Ten Commandments, do not murder. Jesus says, if you, if you look at someone with anger, you've committed murder. If you look at someone with a lustful eye, you've committed adultery. So Jesus changed the game in many ways. He made it even more cha- challenging. So the mission to teach people to obey Jesus' commandments suddenly becomes a little bit more tricky. The good news is we're getting on to its coming home, and we're getting on to the the conclusive part of the message, which is the positive element in, in, in many ways. But I wanted to paint this picture that actually we say, go and make disciples, and we talk about it. We let it roll off our tongue as if, oh, it's easy. I don't think it's easy, and I think we need a lot of help. And Jesus said, if you love me, this is in John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're not here talking about obey, 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 naughty boy, naughty boy, naughty boy, naughty girl, naughty girl, naughty girl. We're not talking about whip, whip, whip. You've got to do the right thing. He simply says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. So what we're saying, when we, when we say let's go and teach people to obey Jesus' commandments, what can we do practically to, to fulfill the Great Commission? We can help people and teach people to love Jesus. And in loving Jesus, out of that love will come the obedience. And we in effect, can fulfill the Great Commission. So don't worry about teaching in the Bible, theology, remembering commandments, memorizing verses. Just help people love Jesus. If you can help people in loving Jesus, you can help yourself fulfill the commission, and you can help them be a disciple. (laughs) Because it's not about religious obedience. I'll go back to the rich young ruler. I think I've got some of this on screen. He asked the question to Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to get to heaven, basically? Many of us ask that question. What do I do to get to heaven? In Luke 18, he says this. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I've been a good Christian boy. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Being a religious person isn't enough. We can't make people obey. We can only introduce them to Jesus, and they can make a personal decision in their own heart. The disciples then go on, because this poor guy looked like he had it all together. He looked like he was a good Christian, and Jesus sends him away, and the poor guy leaves really sad because he can't give away his possessions. He's so closely um, gripping his possessions. He can't sell everything. He can't give his heart to Jesus. Many, many people that you might know, in thinking about the Great Commission, there might be people out there that you know, they would be a great Christian. They would be a great member of this church, but they can't let go of the things that they're holding on to. He couldn't. He couldn't. He was in chains. He was bound by his possessions. So the disciples say, well, who on earth? He looks a good guy. He's a good man. Who on earth can be saved? Is there any hope for humanity? A little bit like I'm talking this morning. It's an impossible mission. Is there any point in doing it? We'll get this as a great verse. And we're moving on to part two. It's coming home. In verse 27 of Luke 18, Jesus says, What is impossible with man is possible 
with God. The Great Commission is a mission impossible. But with God, it is made possible. So we're going to flash up again, Toby, that slide. I think it's the next one on. We've got a sandwich here. We've got an impossible sandwich. In the middle is all the impossible bits. But the bread on this burger are two things that make this an, a, a, a reasonable suggestion, a, a commandment. Jesus gives us the Great Commission, and this is how we are to fulfill it. It says, first of all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, just stop, pause, and think about that statement. If it was anyone other than Jesus saying that, you consider them the most arrogant, the most egotistical person in the world. You would would look at them and say, they are so cocky. They are so arrogant. But Jesus, bearing in mind, had just come back from the dead. He had just defeated death and sin on the cross. So Jesus was, in effect, what he's, he's saying, I have authority over death. I have authority over sin. I have authority over atheism. I have authority over agnosticism. I have authority over every religion. I have authority over every doubt and over every unbelief and over every challenging conversation that you've had. I have authority over every God-hater, every um, Bible basher in the negative way. <laughs> Every basher of Bible bashers out there. <laughs> I have authority over them. If you ever get persecuted, if you ever get stick at work, if you ever get mocked, if you ever get abused, if you ever get um, laughed at for your faith, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. You've got all authority, which means... The Great Commission suddenly becomes a bit more achievable. I have authority over every bad decision, over every sin, over every person, over every principality power. Nothing on earth can separate you from the love of God. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Whether that be right here, right now. Whether that be in the future, in eternity. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. When everybody realizes that Jesus is the way, is the truth, and is the life. Every tongue confess. They will have to at some point in in their life, whether they are the biggest atheist or the, I don't know, someone from another religion. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Suddenly, just in one sentence, the Great Commission, the Mission Impossible, Suddenly sounds that whole little bit more possible. And let me just add you the second bit of the bread. I am with you until the end of the age. Imagine trying to fulfill the Great Commission on your own. It would be pointless. It would be impossible. Thankfully, although ironically Jesus said, I will never leave you. Shortly after that, he went to heaven. But he didn't leave them. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as your helper. In fact, you cannot fulfill the Great Commission without the Holy Spirit. The the Great Commission is mission impossible without the Holy Spirit. We could not go to Africa and make a difference in someone's life. We could not um, do an Alpha course and see people get 
set free and saved. We could not lay hands on people um, and then be healed and then be, then be saved without the Holy Spirit. God is with us. Sarah was in prayer meeting this morning. We was talking about God is with you. If God is with you, and he's got the whole of heaven, the resource of heaven at his disposal. If he's with you, you can fulfill the impossible. What is impossible with man is made possible with God. However difficult your mission is, you might be surrounded by people who've got it in their opinion altogether. They have, in their opinion, no need for God. You might be surrounded by people who are just abusive and offensive about your faith. You might be surrounded by people who live a life that is so different to the life that you know Jesus is calling you to, that it challenges you in your behavior. But know that God is with you. That Jesus sent his spirit, not just to even just to walk alongside you. He is in you. He is your comforter, your closest friend, your greatest ally. If you can't fulfill the Great Commission with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you never will. He, he enables you to do the impossible. So this message is, is a straightforward one in that I'm saying that the Great Commission on your own is impossible. But the Great Commission with God is possible. And there's something that I just thought. We want one thing practical, and then I'm nearly done. It's nearly coming home. One thing that you can do practically is pray for people daily. If we cannot achieve the Great Commission, we could put on all the evangelism events. We could do all of the Alpha courses. We could be the most vocal person in our workplace. We could share the gospel, preach on the street. We could always wear a Bible t-shirt. We could wear a What Would Jesus bracelet. We could wear something around our forehead that says, I'm a Christian. We can do whatever we want. We can plaster, tattoo Jesus all over us. And say, believe, 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 obey, 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 get baptized, get baptized, get baptized, get baptized. We could do all of that. But without the Holy Spirit and without prayer, it's a futile exercise. So my challenge to you is to pick, I'm going to say seven, because seven makes it nice and easy, because there's seven days in the week. Seven people. Just before I prepared this message, I wrote down the names of everyone that could be on my list. And I came up with 35 names are people that I know, that I have their number, I could speak to them, I could go up to them and say, Jesus loves you. 35 people. For me, that sounds quite impossible. I'm like, how can I reach 35 people? So for me, you might, you might find 35, 50, 100 people easy. But for me, I'm just, I've, I've whittled that down to seven key people. Some of those people are parents of, or, or family or related to others. So there's links, there's people that I'm believing for every day, daily, praying for somebody that they would find Jesus. And I'm not saying, as I said at the beginning with a disclaimer, I'm not saying we're not going to go out on mission. We're not going to go and do this. We're not going to run this event. We're not going to run Alpha. We're not going to be um, sharing our faith and our testimony as much as we can. But if we do all of that without prayer, it's pointless. We need to pray. And I just believe as a church, we're entering a season of praying for the lost. Um, and I think actually we have to understand that the mission is impossible. But with him and with prayer, it is possible. And in John 4, um, Jesus talks about the harvest. The, the, the harvest is ready. The fields are ready. But some people harvest what others have planted. And that's where prayer comes in. Over the years, people have been praying for your friend, your family member, your, your colleague. Maybe it's been you praying for them. 
you can begin to harvest and reap what's already been sown. I'm going to invite the band up to, to come. Um, we're going to sing a, we're actually going to sing a prayer. So we're going to do something slightly differently this morning. We're going to sing a prayer. And then I'm going to come up and give an opportunity for somebody potentially to make a decision for the very first time. But I just want to highlight to you... Um, uh, cheers, Garrett. <laughs> I need this. <laughs> I want to highlight to you, before the band kick in, a character from the Bible called Saul. We're talking about an impossible mission made possible. Out of anyone in the Bible, if anyone was not going to become a Christian, it was Saul. He hated Christians. He persecuted them. He stoned them. He had them put in prison. He chained them up. And yet he was the one in chains because he was bound by himself and by his anger and by his hatred for Christianity. Jesus met with Paul on Damascus Road. He was on the way to a mission to go and persecute Christians. And in that encounter, I haven't got time to go into it, but he was blinded for three days and he was told to go into the city. And in that city, he met someone who prayed for him. And then it says in Acts 9 verse 18, instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. 